0: Well, good morning, New Life Church. Well, My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is quite a privilege this morning to be preaching. It's not every day that I get to talk to royalty about how they ought to comport themselves while residing here. In America, in Oregon, in Westland, Oregon City, Gladstone. A prince or a princess, a duke or a duchess, Of a country with a monarchy, they learn how to conduct themselves if they come to another country, to some other country to which they don't belong, where they are only guests. Even if they are guests for years, royalty learns how to conduct themselves so they best represent the country they call home. Someone's saying, hold up, I'm not not a duke or a duchess. Have you, have you already forgot that you are royalty? Did you already forget that in Christ you are royalty, a holy nation? If this is your first time here, welcome. I'm so glad you are here. You may not be aware that this gathering, this morning and every Sunday, is a distinct local gathering of those who share an identity. Those who share in being part of something different and distinct from the rest of the social gatherings all around the globe. We share an identity in Christ, the King of the universe. And because of that, we are royalty. And I pray this morning there would be a pull on you to be a part of this community known as the church. We have been walking through and preaching from the first letter of Peter... And two weeks ago, we were reminded with thrilling and encouraging language that those who share in the story of God have an incredible identity, a vast upgrade from the identity that they knew before. Peter describes it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If that doesn't give you reason to sing, I don't know what does. You were not a people, and now you are a people. God's people. You are royalty. A holy nation, a people for the possession of the very creator of the universe. And that identity necessitates a distinct posture to the world around us. And because we don't ultimately belong here in these systems and these ways, we also reside in an exile. We are royal exiles. We cannot merely fall in line with the actions of those that do not belong to our identity. This is far too good to have it mean nothing. To have it require no outward response. You belong to a different people and nation. A line of royalty and connection to God. You don't belong here. What do you do when you don't belong That is where Peter's letter leans into. Now, we're going to go into the practical. We've been talking about identity. We've been talking about theology and truth and goodness. And now Peter is going to lean into what does that mean when the rubber hits the road? He's going to lean into the effects this story and this identity has on the relationships of everyday experience that demands the most of us. Because with an identity that good, that astounding, it must change those relationships. And this morning in regard to governments Peter will persuade that the royal exile is characterized by goodness and honor. The royal exile is characterized by goodness and honor. Let's start reading in 1st Peter chapter 2 verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Royal exiles. We will talk in later weeks about other relationships, but let's first just start with something really easy. Government. Yeah, that's a huge joke. Come on. Government, human institutions, all of them. This is definitely a relationship that requires something of you. It, dem- it makes a demand of you. It requires a molding of your actions. And one where we often and quickly go the way others are going. People that may not be sharing our identity. We try to fit in. We try to not make waves. And the result of that is that we may not draw attention to ourselves, but we may look like something that is not making a distinction for the sake of the Lord. Peter says, be subject. Put yourself in subordination to every human institution. To any government under which you find yourselves. If you recall, the recipients of this particular letter that Peter is writing, they were in many different cities, many different provinces, many different districts. They were the exiles of the dispersion, the diaspora of Christians living in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And regardless of where they slept, irrespective of who accepted their water bill, they were called to be subject. And we are called to be subject. For the Lord's sake, as royal representatives of God, as a holy nation of Yahweh, as people set apart for the King of the universe, we are to be subject for the sake of the Lord. For the Lord's reputation, for His glory, for His name, we belong to Him. So for good or ill, our conduct... The action that we do will be attached to God. People will look and say, Oh, is that, that's what represents God? Okay. That, that action. Okay. For the sake of the Lord, be subject to human, every human institution. This subject, subject, subjection was not city contingent or caveated by which ruler you were under. It doesn't matter if it's the Roman emperor, the supreme authority of all the Roman Empire, in this case, likely Nero. It doesn't matter if it's one of the many governors that were set up throughout the vast empire to keep the administration flowing, to keep the rules in check in Pontius or Galatia or Cappadocia or Asia or Bithynia. Peter tells them to be subject. Put yourselves under their authority. Listen to them. Our setup is different, right? We have in some ways a more complicated ...and also more layered government. We have a federal government with an executive and a legislative and a judicial branch. We have a state government with the governor and the representatives and the judges in Salem. We have counties with commissioners. We have cities with mayors and councils. Regardless of which level of government you are looking at, you are to be subject. And I suspect, if you're anything like me, some of you are already flagging reasons you may not have to be subject... I have some exceptions. What if I have a bad or poor governing official? What if I don't like them? First, the reason is for the Lord's sake. So that squelches a whole lot of excuses. But Peter reminds us the job of a governor, the purpose of government He continues, a governor was to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. A governor was in charge of a province in order to quell the presence or influence of evil in a particular region. He was placed to greatly discourage the evildoer and to encourage the doing of good in the province. Governors and government are not in existence for bad ends. Even imperfect government is established for good ends. Some order, even flawed order, is better than chaos, than anarchy. Peter is pointing out that governors are tasked with a specific and helpful job and a secondary reason to submit yourself to them is, is for your benefit. Benefit, Because they should be there to praise what is good. But my American mind and personality keeps pressing in, yeah, but, but what if I have a really bad emperor? or king, like a pharaoh, we'll just keep it biblical, or a Nebuchadnezzar, or dare I say, a Nero, an emperor that shortly after this letter is written would bring persecution and violence to the church. Peter and God through him spoke into an incredibly broken world. He was not speaking into ideals where this was an easy task. This was not an easy imperative, a simple command. They did not hear this and go, oh yeah, I'm doing that already. Check the box. Herod the Great, the one who killed all the babies in the area looking for Jesus after he was born. That story has already happened. Herod Antipas, who sat in some authority over the happenings of the crucifixion of Jesus. That is a known quantity. Pontius Pilate, governor of the province of Judea, the one who was supposed to quell evil and encourage good, the one who botched justice in the case of Jesus and allowed him to be crucified. Peter not only knows that story, he watched Jesus endure that injustice. He watched Jesus serve as a wonderful example of perfect distinction when the good tools of government were being used to bad and evil ends. It was Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane that wanted to stick a sword in the ill-working government. And it was Jesus that stayed his hand. It was Peter that watched Jesus endure a botched trial on the way to a crucifixion the type of punishment that was intended for the evil doer Peter knows that governments fail to live up to their duty far too frequently Peter knows we will face officials that disappoint us that frustrate us that fail us that potentially hurt us and yet that does not change our identity we remain royal exiles Because we are with Jesus. And in light of that identity, that distinction, we subject ourselves for the Lord's sake. Romans 13 reminds us that each ruler is delegated authority by God. They are to serve as servants of God. And every servant of God will be held to account by God. God is the final judge and ultimate king who will right all wrongs. And you can be sure, know, that every king will be held accountable for the way they executed their role. Held accountable before the king of kings, our king, because we know the conclusion. We can listen to Peter and walk when it is difficult. Peter continues in his his instruction to royal exiles. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Friends, royal exiles, do good. This is the will of God. Let your interaction in this world, in this government, in this country or state or city or school district be defined by goodness. Let the actions that come from your hands or the words that come from your mouth be goodness. This is a distinction that is rooted in our identity. The royal exile is one who does good. And friends, goodness is not mere compliance with the established laws. The vast majority of laws are in place to discourage evil. Do not steal your neighbor's car. Do not drive 105 miles on the freeway. Do not punch your neighbor in the face. Doing good is not simply Obeying the laws. Most laws are in place to discourage evil, and if I check all the boxes and follow all the rules, I may never do good. Peter is after something distinct. The royal exile is defined by goodness. Not simply the omission of evil, but the commission of goodness in the locale in which you find yourself. This is reaching out and loving a neighbor. The law of the land does not require you to love your neighbor. The identity of Christ compels it. The royal exile does more than is required of him by the state or the city. It is the love of Christ that can open one's home to a foster child. It is the love of Christ that is a spot at the dinner table for the one who was just released from prison. It is goodness to lean into those with addiction and walk with them into recovery, bearing their burdens in community. It is goodness to walk with the immigrant and help them learn our language and navigate our systems because it's pretty difficult. It is goodness to bring a bag of groceries to the family that has nothing or opening your house in hospitality to the stranger. It is goodness to advocate For the unborn and cry and pray for and walk with a scared pregnant teenager. It is goodness to answer a biting remark with grace and humility. It is goodness to pray for an enemy. It is goodness to love your neighbor. And friends, that is a distinction. That is walking in your identity as royal exiles, as members of a different nation, a holy nation. Please remember this. You do not belong in this broken world. You are a member of a people that is a bastion of the kingdom that is to come, the new heavens and new earth. And goodness speaks of that kingdom loudly and clearly. To be frank, we lose all distinction if we simply walk with a preferred party. If we shout along those who are shouting because that is the party line. Our identity is bigger than the platforms of the Republican or the Democratic Party, the Green or the Independent Party. They do not speak for you. You speak as someone for the Lord's sake. Do good. And Peter reminds us, When you do good, it silences the ignorance of foolish people. I can think of many ways I can join the political and governmental shouting matches we find ourselves in. But if I am known for my goodness, that has a way of silencing even the foolish. Let us be characterized by our good deeds. Let our interaction with our city or our county or our state be defined by how we dispense goodness for the Lord's sake. Criticism will come regardless. But let people disagree with you because they don't like Jesus. Not because you take the talking points of a particular party. If fools speak up, this this is my hope and my prayer and my longing, if if fools speak up in Westland or Oregon City or Gladstone and tell a friend, oh, New Life Church, those Christians are just a bunch of loudmouth hypocrites. I want that friend to say, no, they love us. I don't think I believe in their God, but they love us. They serve our schools. They disadvantage themselves for the sake of the community. They serve their neighborhood. They, I don't really know what they're doing, but they're praying for me. That'll, that'll bring silence real quick. Let your goodness silence The fools. Let your identity as royal exiles loudly proclaim the goodness of God. Peter continues. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Peter gets a little bit louder here. Live as people who are free speaking right into the heart of those who sit under the all-encompassing mighty hand of the Roman Empire with an an emperor who is supreme, they are not free because of their government. They are free in respect to their government. They are not defined by their government. They are no longer part of the rest of broken humanity and the flawed ways in which we organize ourselves. They are no longer part of Adam, our original grandfather, and all his sin and brokenness. They are free because they are with Jesus, rescued from sin, free to do good. And we don't have to sin anymore. We can do good. Live as people who are free. Live as people whose defining relationship is not their connection with the government of their locale, but instead the kingdom that is to come, that will make all things new. The kingdom whose king is Christ, the God who redeems and saves and rescues. And here's the striking paradox. We are free because we are no longer slaves to sin. We are free because we are servants. We are slaves of God. Jesus says, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. That is true freedom. We are free because we are attached to Jesus. And we must go with him. In that type of freedom, I can live and move and breathe in this world under whichever government I find myself, and I can live and move unencumbered by that setup. My citizenship is elsewhere. And that elsewhere, that coming kingdom is strikingly brilliant and gives me an identity that is far better than one I can receive here. The king of that kingdom has set me free, and now I am living as his servant. And I can do that here And now, I don't have to wait. Peter says, act out of that true freedom. Don't let your baseline of action be the general actions of those around you in your locale. You are free to think and act and move as slaves of God. You are a servant of God. That is the baseline of your actions. And he says, don't use it as a means of covering up evil. It's like the, the guy who says, I can do whatever I want because I'm free. Slow down. You are a servant of God. Why would you go on sinning with that identity? Because God forgave me and I can do whatever I want. Don't use freedom in that way. That is to allow the old passions we talked about, to, wait, to allow those passions to wage war against your soul. Engage goodness, that is walking in your servant status with God. And friends, there is life in that status. There is life there as a royal exile. In America, I believe we have an additional temptation, an additional thing we need to look out for. We have the temptation to use our rights as a means of covering up evil. The rights or freedom from government imposed limitations to do things such as religion, speech, assembly, you know your favorite right. That list of rights actually gives us a larger bandwidth in which we can fail to do what Peter is imploring of us. There are things I am allowed to do in this country with my mouth or with my actions that far overstep this call to be known by my goodness. And by my true country. In fact, in a country whose beginnings are rooted in independence and protest, I may even be applauded by some for a degree of belligerence or stubbornness. And for Christians, that can be a temptation for us to use that as a cover for evil. Ah, it's my right! We aim not for the applause of the public, we aim for the smile of Jesus. The measure of our conduct is the example of the good King Jesus, not the character of our country. Well, then how do we treat people while we remain exiles, royal though we are? Peter concludes in verse 17. He says, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Peter concludes with some quick fire definers of our relationships with, well, everybody. And they vary in flavor depending on their proximity to the kingdom. Firstly, he says, honor everyone. The baseline of any relationship will be honor. If you interact with a stranger, or a neighbor, or a coworker, or a barista, or a gas station attendant, the first level of interaction will always be one of honor. A royal exile treats everyone with honor. A posture that puts that person at an esteemed level. There is a value and respect and care given in any interaction. I'm really glad Peter reminds us of this, because my default base interaction often slips. I go back to old ways, or I go back to culturally appropriate default ways of dealing with people. And I let my Americanness, or my Pacific Northwestness, or my Oregonness define my base interactions instead of my identity as a royal exile all of your action is in the local honor happens here now wherever i am wherever you are i could be at work and have been at work responding to a poor treatment by a vendor or a coworker i can bad mouth them to a coworker or a boss just the other day while studying this awesome I was engaging in, a, in speaking poorly about a vendor. Saying things like, how long does it take to write a quote? How many times is this idiot going to send me an email telling me he's working on it? I know you're working on it. I'm still waiting on it. And there, in that locale, which happened to be my place of work, I have let the social norms rather, I have let the current social norms rather than my royal exile Identity define my conduct. I engage in disdain and contempt rather than honor. It doesn't matter if I'm not face-to-face with that person. I, in my interaction about them, bring honor or not. In the local, where I am. And as royal exiles, our baseline for everyone is honor. Which again will likely put to silence the ignorance of fools. But Peter says honor. Honor. That's our baseline. Secondly, he says, love the brotherhood. The relationship is a closer one and the action is a deeper and fuller one. The brotherhood, the family, those who share God as father are the brotherhood. They belong to the family. And again, actions happen in the local. This letter would have been read in a small room, in a small church, with just a few people in it. And when love the brotherhood was read, they would have been they would have had to look at people in that room. Love the brotherhood is not a vague positivity about the church. Love is agape, the covenant love, and faithfulness that is dispensed with and to your brothers and sisters in the room. Or the room you're thinking about when you're thinking about life group. I can't sit in my corner all alone and love the brotherhood. I must connect with them to love them. I must be in community to serve them. I must be with them to be in my in faithful covenant with them, together as a family. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Thirdly, fear God. Be most concerned about offending God, no one else. Have in your mind a big enough view of the greatness and the holiness and the gloriousness of God that there is a concern that you are in right relationship with Him. God is grand enough that we are thankful that Jesus came to right our relationship with Him. The one who can judge rightly every wrong. The one from whom no secret can be kept. No wrong unseen. God is the one who can create universes by the force of his speech. The one who sustains the spinning of the spheres of the planets. The one who will finally squash Satan and his armies, all rebels, without even coming down from his throne. Of course you should fear a God that great. Have you ever sat sat at the ocean and realized how big and frankly scary it is, of course you fear the ocean a little bit. Of course you are concerned that you have right relationship with the ocean. Because it could take you out. I think what is most interesting about this command is that it is corrective. In reality, we have no problem facing placing fear in things. It is just common that we place it in something small or undeserving. We place our fear in lesser things. We place our fear in an unpreferred executive being a national or state government. We place our fear in nations or states going in the wrong direction. We place our fear in culture moving. We place our fear in the hysteria mongered on the cable news news networks. People tell us what to fear and we go, okay. And it is rarely the person who is the right place for our fear. Nothing deserves our fear but God. Fear God. And finally, in case you were liable to place any government in the wrong category, Peter says, honor the emperor. A care and reverence with my interaction with the supreme authority in the government is necessary. Not a fear, that's for God, but an honor. And remember that honor is always dispensed Locally, I am not off the hook because I will never interact with that person or have never met that person. I honor or dishonor in the way I talk with my friends. And you rose a flag in your head. Well, what if we're in a democracy? We don't have emperors. All that means is our interaction in choosing our human institutions is different than how an emperor was chosen. Submission and honor do not change. But I have a responsibility here to stand up and speak truth to power. In our modern context, typically that means a really angry Facebook post. And that is not effectively done in a really angry Facebook post. You blasting a disgruntled tirade into the ionosphere is of no benefit. All you're doing is matching the gait of those walking in this world. There are ways to disagree with honor and submission and goodness. There are ways to voice a concern that silences the ignorance of fools. There are ways to speak truth here in the local that is honorable. And it probably doesn't start at the top. It probably starts with you talking to your coworkers about truth or your neighbors or sitting in your neighborhood association, it will probably take a lot of practice to disagree with grace and love and goodness. And honestly, far more truth can be spoken to misguided power when the vehicle is doing good and showing honor. That can happen here and now, and perhaps someday, When you are face-to-face with power, government, a governor, an executive, you continue to do the good and the honor in which you are faithful and you walk in the ways of distinction to which you are accustomed because you walk in your identity as a royal exile. And perhaps because you've practiced that for a long time and are now in front of someone that could, could listen or not, perhaps that person will see a glimpse of the coming Jesus because of you. Peter says, honor the emperor. Friends, royal friends, royal exiles, let me remind you what Peter said. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As you walk in this world among a plethora of governments and executives, some benevolent, some broken, submit to them for the Lord's sake. May your action on the streets and in the city drip with goodness and honor for the Lord's sake. Don't walk in old ways that bring critique, And the ignorance of fools, but for the sake of King Jesus, walk in goodness so that people see Jesus. Walk in a way that proclaims you are royal exiles, distinct from this place because you do not belong to this city, but you wait for the one that is to come, where all things are made new. Where Jesus, Savior Jesus, King Jesus, sits on a throne overseeing the perfect government, Ruling over a new heaven and new earth in a way that it should be ruled in goodness and truth with righteousness and justice. That is the kingdom to which we belong. That is the kingdom to which you belong. That is the kingdom in which we are royalty because we wait as exiles. Let us represent that coming kingdom well. Let us live as royal exiles walking in goodness and honor. Let's pray. King Jesus, thank you. Thank you for accepting injustice at the hands of broken people so that you could use it to pay for our sins and accept us into your family. As we walk in likewise broken and mangled governments, keep the example of your conduct firmly in our minds and our identity as royal exiles firmly in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we need all the fruit of character that you give to live in this place in that way. Grace us with goodness and patience, gentleness and kindness, self-control and faithfulness as we walk through this city, pulled constantly to walk in ways that do not show our distinction as royal exiles. Father God, thank you for your greatness and your goodness and your justice. Thank you that you will one day right all wrongs and that we can with full trust put the judgment of all kings in your hands, knowing you will deal rightly. Guide us to lean on you when our frustrations, frustrations grow and our hearts are hurting because the road of exile seems far too long. In the name of Jesus, whose coming return as great King and Lord gives us every reason to hope and sing. Amen. Amen.